Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Good morning. Happy New Year. It's great to be with you. And I do want to just say before we get started, hello to all of the different churches and campuses that are watching. I know the Go Church campuses uh, are watching this morning, a part of the service with us. And then also uh, Generations Church in Canton, Georgia's with us as they kick off their Deep Change series. And then also my church in Louisville, Hope City Church. There's so many churches, congregations, and campuses. Can we just say hello and welcome to all of the churches that are watching with us? Excited to to be together and uh, excited to be speaking today for Pastor JC uh, here at Go Church. I've actually been here on... Uh, a Wednesday night, uh, a couple of Wednesday nights before, but I've always wanted to be here on a, a Sunday morning to speak to you. And um, matter of fact, several years ago, I, I called uh, Pastor JC, we're good friends and talk a lot. And I called him up and I said, Pastor JC, I really believe that I have a word that I want to share with your church uh, on a Sunday. Um, I'd love to come speak at Go Church. And uh, it caught me a little off guard. Pastor JC just said back to me, he said, uh, Jason, I love you, but you're just not ready. You're just not ready. And it really kind of threw me. He said, he said, the people at my church, they really love God. And they really know their Bible. And I just don't think you're ready. And it, it threw me a little bit. And I went back to Bible college and <laughs> learned Hebrew and Greek. I got a master's in ecclesiology. And so I called him back up. I said, Pastor JC, I've, I've, I've learned Hebrew and Greek. I'm, I'm ready I, I just, I have a word I want to share with your church on a Sunday, and I know you said I wasn't ready, but I really believe I'm ready now, and Pastor JC said to me, he said, I love you, but you're still not ready. You're still not ready. I couldn't believe it. A couple months later, I called him back up. I said, Pastor JC, I know you think I'm not ready. Listen, you don't even have to pay me. I'll cover all of my expenses. I just have something I want to share with Go Church. He said, you're not, you're, I'm sorry. It hurts me to say it, but you're not ready. So a couple of months ago, I called him up and I said, Pastor JC, I I don't even want you to say anything. I know you think I'm not ready, but I've got to come. I'm going to pay all my expenses. I will pay you if you'll let me come speak. He said, I think you're ready. I think you're ready. And so it's an honor to be here, all of the churches and campuses that are watching, and to be here with my good friend, Pastor JC, um, and all the churches that will watch in the future who are doing this Deep Change series. Really an honor to, to be here I'm excited about this Deep Change series. I'm excited about the Deep Change book. Wherever you're watching, they have them out in the lobby or the bookstore, wherever you are. And and here at the Atlanta location, I'll be out there. If you are one of those people who like to have them signed, I'd love to meet you and and have a chance to talk to you. But uh, excited to start this series at all these churches. And my wife and I uh, recently started watching the show, The Chosen. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, We were a little late to the game. Uh, but several of our staff members had said to us, hey, you really need to watch this. And so we started watching it, and, and uh, it's been amazing, uh, amazing to watch. If you're not familiar with it, it's, it's a show that depicts Jesus and the disciples and the Gospels. And I think what I love about it the most is the way that it has given me a fresh perspective of Jesus. This is actually a picture you're going to see of the, of the character who plays uh, who plays Jesus, does an amazing job with it. And as I've been watching the show, three seasons in now, as I've been watching the show, 
um, I've been challenged to, to really kind of think again about who Jesus is and uh, what he did and, and who he is in my life. I've read the Bible many times through and um, know much of the teachings of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus, but it's easy to forget sometimes. I know we all do this, but it's easy to forget sometimes that he, he really was a human being. He really was. And we know that in our head. We know that he was. But in our hearts sometimes, we forget that, that Jesus really was a human being. He really did get tired. He really did get annoyed. His breath stank sometimes because he was, he was fully God, but he was fully human. And I wonder if you ever think about that. I wonder if you ever have taken the time to think about Jesus, the human being. It's really easy to make Christianity about beliefs and, and morals and principles. But to be a Christian means that you believe, that you have faith, that there was a Middle Eastern man over 2,000 years ago who was God but came to the earth as a human being and really did walk this earth. He had skin on. You could touch him and hear him. He, he, he was God as a human being. If you're here, if you're watching this and you say, I'm a Christian, then whether you know it or not, what you believe is that that Middle Eastern man over 2,000 years ago was God as a human being. And sometimes it's easier to believe in an invisible God than it is to believe in a visible God. Because he came and not only did he die for your sins and for my sins, but he also taught and modeled a way to live. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to follow in the teachings and the ways of Jesus. But here's, here's the challenge. The challenge is that we know it's true in our heads, but we don't really believe, we struggle to believe that, that we could be more like Jesus in our everyday life. That he came and he modeled a way to live, but, you know, he was God and we're not God. And he was sinless and we're not sinless and we're doing the best we can. And so, I mean, yeah, we can maybe be a little nicer, we can be a little kinder, but we can't be like, like Jesus. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately, really for a while now. I've been thinking a lot about that scenario. Like, what would my life look like and feel like if I was more like Jesus, the human? I mean, like in the everyday stuff. My prayer and my hope and what I want for you and what I want for me is that the Holy Spirit would be so active in my life and so active in your life that he would be remaking me into a new kind of person who looks and sees and feels and responds more and more like Jesus if Jesus were in my exact circumstance. Have you ever thought about that? If Jesus was in your exact circumstance, your nine to five, your car, the carpool line, the team game, if Jesus was in your exact circumstance, how would he look, see, feel, act, react? I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but it's, a, it's an interesting exercise that you should do sometime. Let me just give you a couple of examples. How, how would Jesus 
feel and, and act and respond at his kids' travel ball tournaments, sports tournaments. I think about that a lot. I got kids in all kinds of sports. We're traveling and going all over the place. And, and here's the thing. I, I don't have time to get into all the nuance of it because I don't know exactly how Jesus would respond. But I don't think he would just be like over in the corner praying. I think he would care. I think he would cheer. I think he would want his son or daughter to win. I'm, I think, I, I don't know how much he would care, but I, but I do wonder sometimes how, if Jesus was here in my exact spot and his daughter was out there, his son was out there. And that call happened the way that it did. Not only what would Jesus say or not say, but how would he feel inside? What would he think about what was happening? Or what about this? How would Jesus feel or respond on social media? Would he have a smartphone? I don't know. I'm not, like, some of y'all just got guilty. I'm not even trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying, like, I don't even know, like, that's where the people are. He would be living in the time and the age. But if he was in my exact circumstance with my device, like, what, what would he do and feel and respond? How would Jesus, let's make it even more common. How would Jesus feel doing his taxes? Like, while he's doing it, how would he, how would he feel? Here we go. How would Jesus feel doing the dishes? How would Jesus feel when he had 40 pairs of unmatched socks in the basket that had no match? How would Jesus act and feel and think shopping for clothes with his teenage daughter? Come on, parents of a teenage daughter. I mean, these are just scenarios. How would Jesus act driving home in rush hour traffic? How would Jesus feel and think and respond when his in-laws visited for the holidays in your exact circumstance? How would Jesus feel and think and respond and act when the waiter got the order wrong or was taking too long? How would Jesus feel trying to put together Ikea furniture? He was a carpenter, but I mean, I don't even think that helps when you're putting together Ikea furniture. But not only would he do the act, but he would, think, he would be thinking things. He would be feeling things. He wouldn't just be acting. He would be reacting when he didn't have what he, he needed. And my point in saying all of that is that we know the stories and the teachings of Jesus. We, we do. You're, you're here. You're in church on, on New Year's Day. I'm willing to bet you know a good amount of information about Jesus. But we rarely think about his character. And I don't just mean his moral character. I mean the person, his essence, who, who he is, the, the kind of person that he was. And if we do think about it, we certainly don't believe that we could be that kind of person too. Well, that's what this series, Deep Change, and this book, Deep Change, is all about over these next Five weeks at, at your church in, 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 in Canton and here and Go Church at all the campuses. I hope, if nothing else, you will come to believe that it is possible. It is possible to live a completely different life than the one you're living right now. That it's possible to become a completely different kind of person, a person who is like Jesus, not just in action, but in essence. That you wouldn't just Try your best to do what Jesus would do, but you would be the kind of person that Jesus, the human being, was in feelings, thoughts, actions, and reactions. 
And all of this started for me a few years ago. If you read the book, you'll, you'll get the, the whole story. But it started for me a few years ago when I read this quote by C.S. Lewis. And I want to give it to you and read it to you. But the quote just says that for mere improvement is not redemption, though redemption always improves people. God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. Now, the first time I read this quote by C.S. Lewis, my, my chest felt funny for two reasons. The first reason is because I, as a Christian, I didn't know that, I wasn't entirely sure that I had become a new kind of man. That was the first reason my chest felt a little funny. But the second reason is because as a pastor, I wasn't entirely sure that the people that I was responsible for leading could say that this is what their Christian life felt like, a winged creature of sorts. Sadly, I don't think that most people would say that when they became a Christian, they felt, or as a Christian, that they feel like their soul has wings. That was the phrase that got into my spirit, that this idea that, that, that my soul now has wings and, and God is not just trying to make me into a rehabilitated version of myself, but he, he wants to come into my life and make me a new kind of person. And was I experiencing this? And was the people that I was leading experiencing this? Because the sad reality is that it is possible to experience salvation but not transformation. It's possible to experience salvation, but not transformation. But God wants me, he wants you to be transformed. Transformed. Not rehabilitated. Transformed. Not a little bit better. Brand new. In your essence, in the character of who you are, Completely different. And little did I know that God was going to use this quote by C.S. Lewis, this idea, and one of the most painful years of my life to teach me how to become a new kind of person. Matter of fact, as I was going through this, I actually spoke here at Go Church on a Wednesday night as I was walking this road. And I, I want I to I teach you. That's, that's what... The book is about, and that's what this series is going to be about. And like I said, if you read the book, you'll get a little bit more of my story, but I'll just give you the short version to help you understand where I'm coming from. It was a few years ago now on a normal Friday morning. I'm waking up. Uh, my, my phone is on my nightstand, and, and, and it's on vibrate, and it's just vibrating, just pulsing. Like zzz, 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 zzz. I grab my phone, and totally unexpected to me, uh, there was someone who was upset with me and was threatening me and harassing me, totally unexpected, caught me off guard, and it sent me into a six-month spiral into the worst fear and anxiety and depression that I had ever experienced. I've never experienced anything like it. I was absolutely certain that I was going to die, but if I didn't die, there were lots of other scenarios that I played out in my mind that felt like a guarantee. I would jump every time the phone would ring. I would, I would jump in, in the chair downstairs when the 
when the UPS guy would drop off a package thinking someone was at my house. My wife would have to come and help me to kind of get out of the chair in my room because I was so paralyzed by, by fear. I would go to stores and restaurants and I would sit in the parking lot and I would wait for as many people to come out as possible because I was certain there was someone in there that was going to hurt me, that knew who I was and would, would come at me. Sunday mornings I was supposed to preach and I would sit in my office and just cry until I couldn't wait any longer and I would wipe my face and I would go out and I would walk straight up to the stage and I would start preaching. But I think the lowest moment for me was a weekday. I was at the church, I was working and I couldn't see all of it but I saw someone walking in the front door of the church but I couldn't see who it was but all of a sudden my mind just went crazy and I was sure that it was someone who was coming to hurt me and I got up from where I was and I sprinted to the sanctuary sound booth and I hid underneath the cabinet and I sat there with my arms wrapped around my knees, tucked together, hiding in the church sound booth, trying to catch my breath because I was certain whoever had just walked in was there to hurt me. And if you've ever had any type of experience similar to that in any way, you know that there are two things happening at that moment. One is what you're experiencing and what's happening and what you're feeling. But the other is you are in a way able to step outside of yourself and, and watch how you are acting, feeling, and reacting. And shame creeps in, and not only are you in a bad place personally, but you're also mad at yourself because you can't get out of the place that you're in. If you've ever struggled with depression and anxiety, you know what I'm talking about. You're mad it's happening, and you're mad at yourself that you can't stop it from happening. And I was sitting there in that sound booth, and I was tr trying to catch my breath, and I, and I could not understand what had happened? How did I get to this place? I was always the calm guy. I was always the guy who ran into the trouble while everybody else was running out. I was the one who kept his composure when everybody else was freaking out. And now I'm hiding for 15 minutes in the church sound booth because I was terrified. I was terrified. And I couldn't figure out and I couldn't snap out of it. And all of the strategies that I had used up until that point in my life weren't working. More church attendance, Bible reading, prayer. It wasn't working. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I had a problem that my faith couldn't fix. I felt a mile wide and an inch deep. And I could not figure out how I had been a Christian for more than 20 years, a fourth generation preacher's kid, a Christian for more than 20 years, and somehow never been acquainted with my fears and anxiety and sadness and insecurities. My relationship with Jesus had never forced me to face the truth about what was happening beneath the surface of my life. And I'd always thought that I was a relatively healthy, spiritually mature person, but I, in this season of my life, was forced to take an inventory of my life, and I realized that all of my Bible knowledge and church attendance had done very little to develop this, this interior life. I didn't have the, the spiritual depth or the emotional health that I thought I did. I had absolutely no awareness or language to explain what I was experiencing emotionally. I couldn't sit still and be alone in silence with God. I was oblivious to my need for people's approval, oblivious to the way that my insecurities drove me to project a certain lifestyle, 
And I began to realize just how much I had used my faith to attain the life that I wanted instead of the life that Jesus wanted for me. Pete Scazzaro, who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he describes this experience as hitting a wall. He says every Christian three to five times in their life over their life as a Christian will hit a wall. And it's at that point where it's not that you get saved again for, for lingo's sake, but it's that you come to learn something new about yourself and about God that you would have never realized had you not gone through the pain or hit the wall. And that's what was happening. I was hit the wall. And that experience drove me to search for answers through counseling, a lot of books, lots of prayer. And if you're here today or you're watching today and you have experienced that wall or that, that type of spiral in your life and you're wondering why as a Christian you don't, you're not able to have it more together and get it up, here, here's what I learned. I wasn't alone. I learned I wasn't alone. And if you are experiencing that, you're not alone. And that as you begin to dive into it, here's what you learn. Is that for thousands of years, thousands, really the history of the church, but especially after Jesus. Christians have been coming to a place in their life where they realized that they were saved, but they lacked a, a depth that helped them live the Christian life the way that Jesus said they could live it. They were lacking what they needed on the inside, the essence, the character to live the life Jesus said they could live. And so I want you for just a moment to think about your life, your day-to-day, -day, what you do on a normal day or a normal week. And I want you to compare it to the kind of life that Jesus said you could live. And this is the kind of life that Jesus said you could live. It's in Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30. Compare this to your life. Jesus said... Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You've probably heard this before. It's a very famous passage from Jesus. But according to what we just read, Jesus is saying that there is a way of life that he can teach me that makes life feel lighter and easier to bear. That's what he said. He said, come to me and I will teach you a way of life that will feel easier, lighter and easier to bear. And I don't know about you, but if Jesus wants to teach me a way of life that feels lighter and easier to bear... I I want to know it. Anybody else, you'd say, if Jesus wants to teach me, I, I want to know it. And this is the opportunity, the invitation that is available to you and me today. And it's always been available to you and me. But sadly, usually, instead of learning this new way of life that Jesus wants us to learn, we usually do one of two things. We usually use one of two strategies to try and live the Christian life in a different way. The first thing that uh, potentially we do or the strategy that many Christians use, especially us Pentecostals, I'm gonna pick on us for a second, is the strategy of enthusiasm. I don't have to learn a new way of life. I've just gotta be enthusiastic about my faith. So our plan is we just wanna get excited enough and stay excited enough to live differently. We wanna be on fire. And so we work hard to keep our passion up 
But eventually that gets exhausting. We can't. We can't sing any more songs. We can't stand up any longer. We can't listen to any more sermons. Come on, we've been, we've been doing this. As a kid, I grew up in church and the pastor would always talk about, you know, we'd have these long services. Anybody grow up in church, we had long services. We'd have these long services and the pastor would say, isn't this wonderful? When we get to heaven, we're just going to do this 24 hours a day. And I thought, oh my gosh. My feet are going to hurt so bad in heaven. But you know what I'm talking about. What happens is we begin to feel this incredible shame because you can't do it. You can't stay enthusiastic enough for long enough. And so you feel ashamed because it seems like everybody else is staying enthused, but you can and you're not able to love God enough to stay excited. That's one strategy, the enthusiasm strategy. But the other strategy, instead of enthusiasm, is knowledge. And this strategy assumes that you can read enough books and learn enough information to be a different person. But let me tell you what happens, because I've, I've, I've tried both. <laughs> let me tell you what happens. Is when you go the knowledge route, it's nice and it's fun for a while, but eventually you learn a lot and then you are incredibly prideful and look down on everybody who doesn't know as much as you. So now you're a prideful Christian. Or you're an enthusiastic Christian and you're mad at everybody who's not as excited as you are. And listen, of course there's nothing wrong with enthusiasm. You need it. And there's nothing wrong with knowledge. You got to have it. But you know by now that those things do not change you at the deepest levels of your life. It just moves around the furniture. And you wake up one day and you're pretty much the same person you were. But you're a little more excited or a little more knowledgeable. And this is why, and it's always confused me, and I'm, I'm a people watcher, I'm an observer, and I'm trying to watch myself. It's always blown my mind that you can be a Christian who attends church faithfully, reads the Bible, and still feel as much like a failure as you did before you met Jesus, still avoid conflict just as much as you did before you met Jesus, still struggle with the same secret sins for decades. You can be a Christian who is still just as judgmental as you were before you met Jesus, or terrible with money just as much as you were before you met Jesus, or a workaholic who neglects your family. But you're a Christian. And the question that I always wrestle with for myself and for all the experiences as a pastor, that I, that I, the people that I meet, is how is this possible? How is it that we have experienced the life of Jesus Christ, the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, but still are terrified of conflict, insecure, judgmental, workaholic, terrible with money. How is this possible? And the reason it's possible is because we are spiritually active, but we're emotionally immature. We're spiritually active, but we're emotionally immature. And you cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature at the same time. It's not possible. Let me say it again. You cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. At the same time, it's not possible. And this is where deep change comes in. Deep change begins to happen when you have spiritual depth and emotional health. Where these things converge, spiritual depth and emotional health is where deep change begins to happen in your life. And you begin to come more like, you become more like Jesus, not just in action, but in essence. And what do I mean by spiritual depth? Well, with spiritual depth, I'm talking about Actually becoming a Christian, 
experiencing God's love, practicing the spiritual disciplines, knowing about knowing your spiritual gifts, knowing the right doctrine and theology. That's so important. But if you have spiritual depth without emotional health, you are how Jesus described on the outside having it together, but on the inside being dead. You are, you have, you, you know what it means to think like a Christian. But it hasn't gotten to the deepest parts of your soul. But you also have to have emotional health. And emotional health, I'm talking about self-awareness, emotional maturity, healing from past wounds, eliminating destructive habits. You got to have it. But you can't just have emotional health because if you don't have spiritual depth, then it's just self-help. It's just therapeutic. You got to have both. And it's where spiritual depth and emotional health converge that deep change begins to happen. And so the question is, how do you develop spiritual depth and emotional health? This is the question that has upset, I've been obsessed with for the last several years. And it's what deep change is all about. And so over the next several weeks at Generations Church and here at Go Church, you're going to learn four practices to help you develop spiritual depth and emotional health. And I'll go ahead and give them to you just so you know what you're going to be learning. The four practices of deep change to get spiritual depth and emotional health. The first practice is feel your feelings. The second practice is to face your past. The third practice is to change your habits. And the fourth habit is to embrace your limits. Feel your feelings, face your past, change your habits, embrace your limits. This is the way that we begin to experience deep change and develop spiritual depth and emotional health. And I want to just stress that these are practices, not steps. Because there's a million techniques out there that promise that if you'll do one, two, three, four, five, everything will get better. But this is our life. This is the Holy Spirit involved. It goes at different speeds and different ways at different times, and you'll be practicing these for the rest of your life. So these are not steps. These are practices. But this is a passion of mine, and I don't know what God has in store. Uh, we've got big dreams in our heart and big prayers that we're praying, and I don't know what God has in store, but God willing, if he will let me, I want to tell as many people as I can and help as many people as I can to experience spiritual depth and emotional health. And right now, it's in the form of this book and just a weekly email that I send out and I ask Pastor JC if it would be okay to share this with you and Pastor Jeremy and at Generations Church. But right now, we just send out a simple email. This is how we're getting started and spreading this message. And so if you would like to be a part of that, you can just text the word deep change to that number on the screen, that 800 number. It's a very simple thing. It'll just sign you up just to get one email from me a week about spiritual depth and emotional health. That's all you're signing up for. Nothing else, I promise. No spam, no upsells, no anything like that. But this is just one way that you can take a simple step. And over the next four weeks, your pastors are going to teach you these four practices and give you the tools to do them. And as you do, you will invite the Holy Spirit into the deepest parts of your soul and your desires will begin to change. And the way you think about how the world works will begin to change. And you'll begin to feel differently and think differently and ultimately live differently. That's my prayer and my hope for you. And so for the few moments that I have left today, my job is simply just to lay a foundation to help get you started. And to do that, 
we're gonna pray a simple prayer together. It's a famous prayer from Psalm 139. Towards the end, the psalmist just prays these words. In 23 and 24, the psalmist says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Can we just pray that together? All the campuses, all the churches watching, come on, out loud together. Let's pray this together. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Can I tell you something? This is such a dangerous prayer. This is a dangerous prayer because God already knows the truth about you. But we rarely know the truth about us. We live in denial or naive optimism. Now, the people who live in the house with us, they know the truth about us. But we don't. But once you begin to ask the Holy Spirit to search you, lead you, once you give permission for the Holy Spirit to bring it to the surface... It's unsettling. It's disorienting. But what's happening is that the Holy Spirit is teaching you a new way of life. But in order to learn a new way of life, we've got to unlearn an old way of life. And listen, I believe that powerful moments and altars and prayer time, I believe those are very helpful in the new life that God wants us to live. But the way that God will help you to unlearn your old way of life and will help you to learn a new way of life is in the day Today, ordinary moments, the carpool line, the sports games on the sideline, the dishes, the taxes, the socks. That's how you learn a new way of life. And here's what I love about God. He knows how much we can handle. I mean, do you know how many things God could bring up? When we say, God, search us, point out anything, God, God's like, really? Okay. Um, do you know how many things he could bring up? But he, our perfect father, knows exactly what we need to hear and how much of it we need to hear. And he does it differently for everyone. And some people, based on where you're at in your life, it's brought you to a place where you're ready for God to address more than other people. Some people are just getting started in this journey. Other people, you're at a different place, but God knows how much to bring up and he knows how fast to bring it up and how long to bring it up. And at his perfect pace, the pace that you can handle, he's going to help you take the next step. But you gotta take a step. So here's what I believe is gonna happen. I've experienced it myself. I've helped dozens of people walk this road you're about to walk. As you invite the Holy Spirit all the way in. And he begins to peel back the layers of your soul. You're going to feel ashamed. You're going to feel embarrassed. You're going to feel afraid. And everything inside of you is going to want to pull back and run. And run to enthusiasm or knowledge. But don't do that. Don't do that. 
if, if the Holy Spirit's beginning to search you and point out things in you, as ashamed and embarrassed and afraid as you feel, just hang right there. Just hang right there. And I love the way that Thomas Keating describes this, really, as well as I think you can describe it. Keating said this. He says, as we progress toward the center where God is actually waiting for us, we are naturally going to feel that we are getting worse. This warns us that the spiritual journey is not a success story or a career move. It is rather a series of humiliations of the false self. Now, what does he mean? He means that as the Holy Spirit begins to point out the things about us that we swore were true about us but aren't true about us, or begins to show us how we're acting like we think who we need to be but it's not who we're supposed to be, or when he begins to, to peel back the parts of us, the personas and the parts of us that are not really who we are, but we have learned them at a young age for affirmation or to protect ourselves, whatever it is, that as he begins to show us, we're humiliated. How could I have done this? Why am I this person? Why? And what's happening is what you tell your child every time you take a splinter out or every time you pour disinfectant in a cut. What do you say? If it's burning, it's working. It's healing, but it's painful. But the, but the pain, the embarrassment, the shame, the fear, it's proof. There is no condemnation in Christ when God looks... that thought there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Amen. right so here's here's where we end right here's where here's where we all have to make a decision you have to decide I have to decide today if I'm content living the same way that I've been living in a way that it works most of the time but is it actually what God is calling me to is it actually what God is challenging me to be and to become and to do in and through this life that he's given to me. And so my hope and prayer for you is that today, Jason, in a really powerful way, has caused us to think. He's caused us to really allow the Holy Spirit to, to convict those places of our heart that we've created kind of a false sense of self and kind of a, a straw man that we think it's, it's right and we think it's enough, but it's not actually the fullness of all that God is calling us to and asking of us. And so my hope today is that it begins this process and you don't have to wait until next Sunday. Maybe you pick up the book and you read the book and, and I hope you do. It's an incredible book. But even beyond that, I, I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, begins to work in your heart and in your life and in my heart and in my life. And more than resolutions and goals, which I have already told you, more than resolutions and goals, there's transformation. That it's not just some things I want to do in action, but it's the character, it's the essence, it's the, it's the person that I'm becoming at the heart level, at the soul level, that I become this creature with wings. You're like, well, that sounds weird. Well, there, there's a little weirdness to this process that we're trusting an invisible God who made himself visible. That the message paraphrase of scripture in the book of John says that he put on skin and he moved into the neighborhood. That he got close. But he modeled for us what it meant to live in communion, in relationship with the Father. And that's the desire that he has for every one of us, that we would be transformed. And that a part of that transformation would be the renewing of our minds. 
the renewing of our souls. It would be striving for and allowing God to create emotional health on the inside of us. It's what he's calling us to. And it's not some self-help book. It's not some self-helpy thing. This is the work of God in us. It's his work. It's our openness to his work. God, I want 2023 to be the year of deep change for me. I want 2023 to be the year that I do go all in. I want 2023 to be the year that I become healthier at the soul, emotional, physical, mental level of, of my life because it is striving. It's in pursuit of all that you have for me. And so my hope and prayer for you is that next week when we come back together that, that God's already been working in your heart for these next six or seven days and we come back together and we just continue this journey. I'll be preaching week two next week. Jason will actually be here in two weeks to do week three. He'll do it live here. And so I, I hope that you will take this journey with us and you will ask God right now, Lord, what is it that I need to do? Search me, oh God. Search me, oh God. See if there be any wicked way in me. If we're honest, he said it was a dangerous prayer. It is a dangerous prayer, but, but it's a prayer that will get a response. So the second part of that is, Lord, open my ears and open my heart to hear what you would say as you search my heart and my life because I know there's some things in me that do not reflect your character and your nature. It's not what you're calling me to be and to do. And So, God, I want spiritual depth and I want emotional health and I want to be the man of God. I want us to be the men and women of God that he's calling us to be. So here's what I want you to do right where you're at. I just want you to bow your head, close your eyes. Just take a moment of reflection, just an opportunity between you and the Lord. What is it that God has spoken into your heart today? From miles away, God, that kind of sounds like me on a video screen, but really the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. What is it that God is speaking to you right now? And before I lead you in a prayer, I just want you to say, even if it's in a whisper, search me, oh God. Search my heart. Search my life. Search my character. Search my responses in the carpool line and at the games and in the places of my... Search, search my reactions and my actions and my thoughts. And Lord, help me to, to see those places that don't reflect you. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would say, Jeremy, for me, if it's about spiritual depth, and that's a part of this, I need to be in a spiritual relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I want to take that first step today and ask him to forgive my sins and to lead my life. I, I want to start 2023 beginning a relationship with him. With nobody looking around. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you. You can put it right down as soon as you do. Thank you so much. And now if you would say, Jeremy, for me, I really want deep change this year. I, I want to be the kind of person that, that your brother was describing. I, I want spiritual depth and emotional health to a greater degree than I've ever experienced. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Thank you so much. You can put it right down. Let's pray together. God, we love you. And we thank you today for all that we've experienced and all that we've heard, the worship songs that we've sung, the prayers that we've prayed. We thank you for a resource like Deep Change that just gets us into a conversation where we're open now to what your spirit is asking of us. And God, now I pray for every person right now that's responding to you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. 
Lord, would they enter into a spiritual relationship? Would they allow you to be their Savior, but also to be their Lord? So God, we thank you for that. And God, now I pray for those that lifted their hands to say, I I want deep change this year. Begin right now. Search us, oh God. And as those things rise to the surface of those things that do not reflect you, Lord, let us give them to you. And Lord, that you would replace them with the things that do reflect your character and your nature. So God, we thank you for the work that you have done and are doing and will do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.